Dig of the Dump, paragraph 2, page 32. Then they stood and admired their window. They even made faces at each other, one standing inside and the other outside, because you could almost see through it. It certainly let the light in, even though it was late in the afternoon and there was not much light to let in. Well, well, said Barney, that's it. It was a thing he had often heard his grandfather say when he'd finished a job. He was tired after all the inventing he had done. He went to sit down and then he saw all the round plates of tin that Stig had cut out lying around the floor. He gathered them up. There must be a use for these too. He went back to the window and found that the discs fitted exactly over the ends of the jars if he pressed them into the soft clay. There were just enough to go round. There you are, Stig, he said, like on a ship to shut the portholes. If you don't want people to look in or to shut the dark out, there was a feeling in the evening air that darkness was coming and that it would be snug to sit by the new fireplace and watch the fire going up the chimney. But Barney suddenly remembered something and stood up with his mouth open. Stig, he said, I've got to go home. All the way home, I mean. I probably won't be staying with Granny till Christmas. Stig looked at him. Stig, said Barney, when I come back again, you you will still be here, won't you? Stig didn't answer, but he went to a little niche in the chalk wall, poked about among some things there and brought back something which he gave to Barney. He looked at it, and it was a little chipped flint, perfectly shaped like a flat Christmas tree and very sharp. An arrowhead? Barney gasped. For me? Oh, thank you, Stig. I, I really must go now. See you at Christmas. You will be here at Christmas, won't you, Stig? Goodbye. And he ran off. As he made his way along the bottom of the pit, he felt he knew the way there better than anywhere else in the world. And he felt that Stig's house was as much his home as anywhere else. After all, it was like drawing pictures. Once you've put a chimney and a window on a house, you've really made a house. Chapter 3. It warms you twice. Christmas was over at Grandmother's house. The old oak beams were still decorated with trails of ivy and there were still branches of holly stuck into the tops of the picture frames. The last turkey bone had been picked, the last thimble found in the pudding. They had even got a good way around the Christmas cake. They had been to a circus. Barney lay in bed in the grey morning light. For once he was not in a hurry to jump out of bed. The air in the bedroom felt icy to the end of his nose. Let me see, thought. Is there anything special to look forward to today? He couldn't think of anything. He was looking at the thick black beam in the wall that grew out of the floor right up to the ceiling. 
It had been part of a ship before it was part of the house, Grandfather said. It had deep holes cut out of it, where other bits of timber had, sorry, timber had been fitted into it. What was that hidden in one of the holes? Barney sat up in bed suddenly. It was the flint, Stig's flint, left there since last time he had come to stay. And he hadn't even thought about Stig all over Christmas. He got out of bed and looked out of the window. There was white frost on the grass. A few hopeful birds hung out about the bird table, fluffed up like woolly balls, waiting for some food to be put out for them. He reached up and took out the flint. It was a lump of ice. I wonder what it's like living in a cave these days, thought Barney. Poor Stig, he must be cold. After breakfast, Barney slipped out of the house and went off to the pit. In the cups, the frozen leaves crunched like cornflakes under his feet. He climbed down into the pit on the far side, where the cliff was lowest, and it hurt his finger to hold on to the icy tree roots. The nettles were all dead in the bottom of the pit, and the old cans had lumps of solid ice in them. There was no sign of life in the shelter, though he noticed the ashes of a small dead fire and a faint smell of wood smoke still hung about. But at the back of the cave was a kind of nest made of bracken and dead grass and newspaper. He thought he heard breathing sounds coming out of it. Stig! Barney called. Nothing happened. I wonder if he's like a dormouse, he thought and goes to sleep all the winter. He called again. Stig, are you there? There was a rustle in the nest, and a mop of black hair poked out of the top of it. Underneath it was Stig's face, but it was screwed up in a very strange expression. Is he cross? wondered Barney anxiously. His eyes still screwed up and his mouth shut. Stig took a deep breath. Then he sneezed. It was a sneeze like a cannon going off and it made the cave echo. You did give me a fright, said Barney. You've got a cold, Stig. No wonder when you live in this damp place you need a good fire. He looked around the shelter and the cave. There didn't seem to be any wood to burn. Stig's heavy flint axe was leaning against the wall and Barney picked it up, but he saw that the edge was crumbled and blunt. You'll have to sharpen this, said Barney. Stig crawled out of his nest, blinking stupidly. He moved as if this, as if his joints were rusty and he did not take the axe as Barney held it out to him. All right, I'll do it then, said Barney. I expect it's quite easy. He sat down with the axe between his knees and picked up a heavy iron bolt and tried to remember how he'd seen Stig chip the flint. But it was painful holding the cold flint and the cold iron and his fingers were so clumsy that they would not do what he wanted them to. Oh, never mind, said Barney. 
Come on, we've got to get some wood. He stood up with the axe and went out to the shelter. Out of the shelter. Stig followed, half awake, half frozen and silent. They climbed up out of the pit and looked around the copse for wood to cut. Barney could see now that someone, probably Stig, had already been chopping and breaking down the dry branches. He chose a fairly thin thorn tree and set to work on it. The axe swung, the tree shook. The flint bounced off the tough bark, but he didn't seem to be getting anywhere. Stig just squatted miserably on a bank, with his arms wrapped round his knees. Here, you have a go, puffed Barney. It'll warm you up anyhow. My grandfather always says wood warms you twice. Once when you cut it and once when you burn it. He handed the axe to Stig, but Stig, on, but Stig only looked at it sadly and shook his head. Barney got worried. He really must do something about Stig. Suddenly he had an idea. Wait here, Stig, he said. I won't be long. Barney ran off through the copse and up to the field towards the house. He went to the shed at the back and got his grandfather's big steel axe and the long sharp cross cut saw. And what else did he need? Yes, a coil of rope. He slung it over his shoulder and made off again down the field to the copse. Here you are, Stig, he called as he came up to Stig still huddled on the bank. The sight of the shining steel axe worked like medicine on Stig. He uncurled himself and picked up the axe by its long handle. He tried its sharp edge with his thumb. He weighed it in his hand and swung it like a golfer testing a new club. His black eyes lit up and he looked around for something to use his new weapon on. Standing among the sapling of the copse, was a tall ash tree with a trunk at least two feet thick. Stig marched up to it, swinging the axe. Oh no, cried Barney, you mustn't. Not that one, Stig. But there was no stopping Stig. At the first blow, the blade bit deep into the tree. White chips flew as he swung again and again. Barney hopped round him excitedly. Stig! he called. Do you think you ought to? Oh, Stig, isn't it too big? Stig! Stig, I didn't know you were such a chopper. Well done, Stig. Stig, Stig, let me have a go. There was soon a great wedge cut into the side of the tree, but it was still only halfway through. Stig stopped for a rest, and they both looked at the tree. It swayed a little in the light breeze. You know what, Stig, said Barney, it's going to fall and smash the fence if we're not careful. i better tie a rope to it. He slung the coil of rope round him and pulled himself up by the lower branches of the tree. He had climbed most of the trees round about before, but he had never climbed one that was already chopped halfway through. 
He supposed he should have tied the rope on before they had started cutting. As he climbed higher, he could feel something different about the swaying of the tree. It did not have the springy, exciting sway of a, of a sound tree. It was only swaying a few inches, but at the end of each sway you had the feeling that it was waiting, not quite sure whether it would sway back again or whether it would just go on and fall. He tied the rope to the trunk as high up as he dared, threw the rope toward outwards and watched it uncoil to the ground and scrambled down again himself. Now, we ought to saw it on the other side, said Barney. I've seen Grandfather do it. He picked up the big cross-cot saw. Here, you take the other end, he told Stig. Stig looked at the saw doubtfully. He felt its sharp teeth and grunted, appro and grunted approval. But he still did not understand what they were going to do with it. Look, said Barney, you hold that end and I'll hold this end. You pull and then I'll pull. It's easy once you get started. Stig still looked a bit blank. They scrapped away clumsily at the bark of the tree trunk until at last they saw teeth cut a straight groove and settled into it. Stig's eyes widened as the sawdust began to fly and he pumped the handle furiously. Ouch! cried Barney. You're pulling too far. You've made me skin my knuckles. Steady! cried Barney. Must we go so fast? We've got a long way to go yet. Stop! cried Barney. Look, Stig, you're pushing as well as pulling. It makes the saw bend and it makes you tired too. At last they settled down to, to a steady in-out snore-snore. The blade sang as it bit deeper into the wood and the sawdust splurted out each end. Then the whole thing seemed to get sticky and at last, however hard they struggled, they could not move it either way. Bother! said Barney. What now? They stood back and looked at the tree. The weight of the branches on one side was making the trunk lean that way and closing up the crack the saw had made. We'll have to pull, said Barney. Stig and he took the end of the rope and heaved. The crest of the tree came slowly towards them, hung still and swayed back again. They heaved again. This time the tree seemed to come a little further, hang longer, but still it swung back. With their third pull, as it rocked towards them, there came a cracking sound from the trunk. It's coming, cried Barney excitedly. The tree swayed away from them again, but they heaved again, and this time there were more splintering cracks. Once more, shouted Barney. They tugged. The tree rocked slowly, hung at the end of its swing, then instead of rocking back again, lurched, lurched forwards, lurched further over towards them. 
From the trunk came a splitting, rending, screeching sound, and Stig and Barney turned and ran. Barney heard an appalling rush and crash and splintering of branches behind him as the crest hit the ground, and the topmost twigs thrashed the back of his legs as he ran. They turned round to look. Barney's heart was bouncing with excitement. Phew! We've done it! he gasped. Gaping at the ruin that they had made and the great empty hole they had left in the skyline. What a load of firewood! 